Today is what we call Vision Sunday. We do about one of these a year, generally around this time, and really lay out um, where God's leading us as a church. So um, this is very much for those who are kind of part of our gathering, who are connected at CC, but if you're brand new or even don't believe, I think this will give you a little window into what we're about. And so um, we're just going to talk about kind of where God is leading us in this next season of our church. But I want to ask you a question before I get started. When was the last time that you were discontent? When I always get nervous laughter, same thing at the 9 a.m. When was the last time you were dissatisfied? When was the last time that you were um, annoyed? Maybe on the ride to church, and then you got out of the minivan, you're like, how you doing? Great, because everybody lies at church, but maybe it was on the way here. Uh, When was the last time you were exasperated? So for me, I have three toddlers, so you ask me that question, it's always five minutes ago, or within the last five minutes, if my kids are around. I love my kids, but as toddlers, they exasperate you a lot. Uh, When was the last time you were discontent? When was the last time you were dissatisfied? Here's the thing about those words. Those words never get any positive airplay. Like, maybe rightfully so. Those, Those words can lead you off the rails. They can lead to a lot of negative emotions, but there is... There's some redeemable qualities about some of those words, specifically discontentment or dissatisfaction. And here's the argument that I would make, that every great movement, every great idea, every great innovation actually was birthed out of the emotions that those words represent. Those words have extraordinary power for positive change if you redeem them. Like, think about it this way, that uh, maybe a product that comes onto the market in many cases was the result of somebody being dissatisfied with what was currently on the market. And they're like, man, somebody needs to do something. And then, hello, iPhone. Or a movement. Take the civil rights movement where there's somebody who looked at, not just one somebody, but a bunch of somebodies to go, things are not as they should be. And things are not as they could be. And somebody needs to do something. And it was out of discontentment and dissatisfaction that actually led to an incredible movement that changed people. It changed the world at some level. Like, here's what I would even say at a personal level, that behind people taking steps to do things that they wouldn't normally do, like foster kids, or maybe get involved in addiction recovery, or maybe step out in their neighborhood to start an organization that helps the homeless or helps the marginalized. In many cases, it was birthed from the emotions that those words represent. Because here's the thing, those words have the power, if they're redeemed, to move people. They have the power to do something in people to where they'll act in a way that they normally wouldn't act. And in fact, at some level, they fuel imagination. They fuel creativity. They fuel a picture of what could be and what should be. And it literally moves people from where they are to where they believe things should be. And they take action to do what they normally wouldn't do. And in fact, it's what fuels what we're talking about today, vision. Vision is basically this, this is my made-up definition, but vision is a clear picture of a better future that moves people to action. Vision is a picture of, here's what could be, here's what should be, and at some level, if you are grabbed enough emotionally, and if you feel it enough emotionally, it will move you to do things and act in ways that you would never do otherwise. Vision is a powerful thing, and it's simply a clear picture of a better future that moves people to action. In your neighborhood, in your city, with your family, with those who are marginalized in your sphere of influence, whatever it is, vision has the power to move people in a way that nothing else does, and not move you towards cynicism. 
not move you towards simply sitting back and being critical or wallowing, wallowing in what you don't like, but moves you to go, no, 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 things should be different, and so I want to act to make them different. Vision is actually a massive idea in the scriptures as you open it, and you may not hear this specific word, but it's all throughout. Vision is a powerful idea, not just corporately, not just for us as a church, and I want to talk about us as a church, but, but vision is powerful for you. In fact, I would say this, that when you ask the question, where are you discontent? I mean, like in a rightful kind of way, not, oh, you didn't empty the dishwasher again, but I mean, kind of bigger 3,000 foot level, where are you discontent? Where are you dissatisfied? On the other side of answering that question, you might just find your personal vision. You might just find your personal purpose. And specifically, if you're a Jesus follower, but at some level, everybody, we have a personal vision. God wants to do something unique through your life. God wants to give a purpose to you that is unique to your life and to your calling. Now, here's what I would say as a Jesus follower is to be everything that God's called you to be, you've got to find out what God's called you to do. And there's some things that are universal, he's called all of us to do, but there's some things that are unique to you that God has called you to do. God wants to give you a vision for your life, a clear picture of a better future in some area that moves you outside of yourself. And the same is true for the church. Now, real quick, I just want to give you some context on this, and then we'll move forward. But in the scriptures, the most powerful example of what I would call visionary leadership comes from a guy by the name of Nehemiah. If you ever heard of this book in the Old Testament, Nehemiah, and if you're a skeptic, this is a great book because there's no mention of Jesus, even though Jesus is behind the whole story of the scripture. But if you're investigating, maybe this is a good place to start. There's no miracles. Uh, so much in this is really about what God empowers Nehemiah to do, but it's all about visionary leadership. And here's the backdrop. Nehemiah is a guy that comes onto the scene about 90 years after the exile of the Jewish people. So if you're not familiar, basically God chose Israel um, thousands of years ago to say, I want you to be like my people, meaning I want to show off what it's like to have a relationship with God in terms of how I interact with you. Well, Israel went off the rails and eventually they were exiled by Babylonian captivity for 70 years. For 70 years, they were in a place that wasn't their homeland. Then the Persians overtook the Babylonians and a guy by the name of Cyrus the Great led a bunch of the exiled Jewish people back to their homeland in Judea, in Jerusalem, in um, Israel. And then about 90 years after that, Nehemiah comes onto the scene and Nehemiah is a Jewish guy. He loves his homeland. We don't know if he'd actually visited it, but he has a heart for it. He has a heart for his people. And he hears a report that his homeland now, about 90 years after the Jewish people coming back from exile started in 605 BC, that his homeland is in ruins. The walls are broken down. It's in disrepair. There's no leadership. I mean, it's just absolutely a mess. And where you pick it up, or where I want to pick it up in Nehemiah, Nehemiah is moved by the state of his people. Nehemiah is moved about where things are, but he's got a picture of where he thinks things could be, where things should be. And Nehemiah, at this point in history, is a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. Now, cupbearer doesn't sound like a sexy job, but like, it was a big deal. Like, cupbearer, he had the ear of the most powerful man in the world. It was, it was a major deal. And so, Nehemiah, where we pick up the story, and I just want to read a couple verses, gets the report of the plight of his people, and here's, kind of gives you a window into Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. The report comes back to Nehemiah and says this, The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. The thing's a mess. 
And when I heard these things, this is Nehemiah talking, I sat down, and what's the word? I wept. Like, I'm so moved. And Nehemiah had every reason in the world to just go, man, I got a great job. I've got the ear of the most powerful man in the world, the most powerful country in the world. I've got a great job. Like, I'm sorry what's going on there. I will pray for you, but I can't really do anything about it. But Nehemiah is so moved, he begins to pray. And into verse 4, he says, For some days I mourned, I fasted, I prayed before the God of heaven. Can I just ask you this question? When was the last time you were moved at that level? When was the last time that you were moved to like pray things that moved you at an emotional level? And it wasn't about you. It wasn't just about your immediate context. It was for something outside of you. In verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, Nehemiah. And to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And then Nehemiah asked something that it's easy to miss the significance, but was absolutely huge. Basically, what Nehemiah is about to ask God for is favor in going to the king and asking for a leave of absence to put his job on suspension and go back to his homeland to begin to rebuild the wall. And I just want to tell you, you didn't do that at that point in the world. You didn't go to the king and ask for favor. You might end up losing your life. And here's what Nehemiah prays. God, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, King Artaxerxes. And so Nehemiah has the most powerful job like that he could ever imagine right alongside the most powerful man in the world. And he comes to him and literally risks his life to go, King Artaxerxes, I know nobody does this, but I just, I just have to ask you, I, I need a leave of absence. I need to give up my company car. I need to leave my family. I need to leave my position. I need to go back to my homeland, and I need to help my people out. And King Artaxerxes is probably like, dude, you're a cupbearer. No, I know, but I, like... With where things are at, somebody's got to do something. Somebody has got to step in. This is not how things should be. This is not how things could be. And God begins to work and move in Nehemiah's heart to begin to give him a personal vision, a clear picture for a better future, who I believe moved Nehemiah to do something he never would have done under ordinary circumstances. And so he goes to King Artaxerxes and asks what you would never ask and risk his life, but it's already too late for Nehemiah because he's been absolutely broken. He's completely discontent. He's completely dissatisfied, not in a way that moves him to cynicism to go, man, why don't these people get it together and why doesn't anybody do anything? No, no, no. I've been called to do something. See, that's what vision has the power to do. And if you lean in and if you ask God, there's some things that are just real clear. All of us are invited in, but there's some things for your life that God's going to call you to do. He'll give you a clear picture of a better future with what's going on in your family, with the multi-generational stuff you've been carrying, and what he wants to do in your neighborhood. And when you lean in and get that vision, and I'm not talking about he speaks to you in a dream. Maybe he does. I'm not talking about he like projects it on a wall. I'm just talking about that subtle, that angst, you need to do something. I want you to go into action. Vision will lead you to do things that you'd never do on your own. And it's the source of everything really that happens around you that ultimately works things for good, changes things in families and neighborhoods and in cities. So all that to say, here's where it comes to us. Anything God wants to do in your life, anything God wants to do in our city, anything that God wants to do through our church, it's going to start as we get a clear vision that leads us into action. 
And I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way or not, but here's the thing. Vision is God's gift in a broken world. How many of you know things are not as they should be? There are, there are things that rise up where you go, why, why would that happen? And, and why could something like that devastate people in, in Mexico? Why, why, why do we have these natural disasters? Why do people suffer? Why do children have to go in, in through that? And every time we feel that or say that, this angst rises up that the writer of Ecclesiastes says, it's actually eternity that's been set in our heart. There's a longing in us that says, this is not how it should be. There's got to be something better. This can't be all that there is that was literally placed in you by God, and vision is God's gift in a broken world. It's why throughout the scripture it says, I want you to follow Jesus so that you see as he sees, that you're moved by the things that he's moved for, that you are, you are wrecked by the things that he's wrecked for, that you see the world around you the way he sees the world around you, and it doesn't lead you to indifference or cynicism. It gives you a vision about what he wants to do through you and leads you into action. We have been called, come on, Jesus followers, we've been called to be redeemers and restorers. Not wait for heaven when we die. We've been called into our plight, into our sphere of influence to make things better. Wherever you go, wherever we go, wherever the church goes, in any city, in any country, in any part of the world, they should be better off because of it. Because we're not just waiting for heaven when we die. We've been called to bring God's kingdom ethic to earth. We're to redeem things and restore things and give a picture of this is not how it could be. This is not how it should be. And one day it will not be that way and I'm moving into action already to make things different because we've been called to return things to Genesis chapter 1. Right? And think about this. It is, it's vision that led God God the Father to give up his son Jesus to come to planet earth. It was God's vision through Jesus to go, the world is broken. What I plan for is not as things are. It is not what it should be. It's not what one day it will be. There are people who are disconnected from God and they need reconciled. There are people who are dead spiritually and they need made alive again. There are people who are broken and they need to be made whole. And it was Jesus who looked at the picture of planet Earth to go, I have to do something. I've got a pretty good gig. I could just sit at the right hand of the Father, but instead I'm going to condescend into human flesh and I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to take on me the punishment of the entire world and I'm going to walk out of a grave alive and I'm going to unfurl a message to the world that says there is hope and there is life and there is forgiveness and there is reconciliation that is found in Jesus and one day it will be better and one day everything will be made right and everything that is wrong will become untrue and we will be perfect and holy and righteous in the sight of God the Father. And it was Jesus who said that's what needs to happen that moved him into action to change everything for humanity. That's the good news. That's what we believe. And then he he sits on a hillside shortly after that with a group of maybe a little over 100 guys. I'm not sure. And at that point, he begins to communicate the vision for the greatest movement in the history of the world. This thing called the church. 
that, that this movement would be created where this message that Jesus has just introduced to the world is going to be communicated. The vehicle for getting that out is going to be this busted up, imperfect thing called the church to let every single individual in every continent, in every generation, across every language, and across every socioeconomic status that all people have been invited in. And there is no sin that pushes you beyond the reach of God's grace and God's love. And there is a purpose and hope and life that is found in Jesus. And here we are, right? Here we are. Because God had a vision for humanity, not to leave it the way it was or just start it all over again, but a vision for humanity of what he wanted it, what he created in Genesis 1 that led him into action to do something about it. I'm telling you, vision is a powerful, powerful thing. So all that to say this, here's where it connects with us individually and as a church is that just like God gives a unique vision for you, a unique vision for your family if you're open to it, and I wish I could spend more time talking about it, God gives a unique vision for each individual church as they look at the needs around them to go, okay, what needs done in our cities and communities and how has God equipped us or fulfilled in us to be able to meet some of those needs? Because God wants to do something uniquely through us. Here's how Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 12. I don't have time to look at it, but you can go back. 1 Corinthians 12, he says, we are a part of the body of Christ. And that's not just individually, you're a part of a body, but there's a larger application that you play a part in this thing he's described as the body, this overall picture of what God's doing, where he's leading all people, or wants all people, to come into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the big vision, but he's also called you and us into a unique vision as a part of that body, as our expression in what he's doing in planet Earth and what he wants to do in our neighborhoods. And another part of 1 Corinthians 12, he says this, that as you lean into to know what God wants you to do, that you will be an indispensable part of what God wants to do in your cities and in your neighborhoods. And so God has given us something unique to do as a church. The overall vision is very clear. We are to let people know about Jesus and lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. But we've also been given, I think, something unique as we've lead in to go, God, what do you want to do in our city? And how have you equipped us to meet some of those needs in our cities that we have to fulfill and we have to move forward with? And here's what's at stake. I love this verse. Here's what the writer of Proverbs says, a guy by the name of Solomon. Here's what is at stake if we do not lean in to go, God, what do you want to do? If we do not embrace vision, if we do not act on vision. Here's what he said, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, people perish. The thing that is at stake is not just your personal fulfillment. The thing that is at stake is not just your personal purpose. The thing that is at stake is not just our personal purpose as a church or the name on a sign or me or you. The thing that is at stake is when there is no vision, people perish. When you don't fulfill what God's calling you to do, it is people with a name and a face and a story that hang in the balance. So the question is like, what is God called us to do. And so early on, we asked the question, God, what are the needs in our cities and our communities, and how do you want to uniquely equip us to meet those needs? And here's, and I just, I just want to be so clear, I love the local church. Is the local church busted up? Yes, it is. Do we get it wrong? Absolutely. Is my promise to you that you will get lit up by us at some point along the way? Yes, it is. Because we're all imperfect, right? 
Like the, the local church is, but I'm telling you, it is God's hope for the world. And when it's on mission and Jesus is in, at the center, something spectacular happens. So early on, we asked the question, God, what do you want to do through our church? What is the vision that you want to give us for the future? And I won't spend a lot of time, about half of you have probably heard this story, but for me it was really personal. I was about 24 years old, had not too long before graduated from college, undergrad, and was um, going through master's program, and I was in a corporate environment, and I got to know a girl by the name of Lauren. And um, I don't want to spend a lot of time, and I don't want to overstate it, but she, she changed my life. I began to get to know her and talk with her, and she was about the same age and going through what a lot of people go through early 20s. You're like, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going next? Um, like, what's real? What's not real? She had a lot of baggage that she had been carrying from the past, and she just was trying to figure out what to do going forward, and there's just a lot of stuff that she just didn't know how to get freedom from, and we're just kind of haunting her, and as we got to know each other, she started talking to me about her background with kind of God, and she had grown up a little bit in the church, and she had had experiences with the church, and um, as we began to develop a relationship, um, I finally got the opportunity as we got to know each other just to begin to talk to her about Jesus, about the hope and life found in Jesus. And I'll never forget being at a table one day about three times the size of this, a round table in an auditorium, uh, not auditorium, but like a lunchroom cafe type thing. And we were on lunch break. And I don't necessarily recommend this, but it was appropriate at the time. But I just had the opportunity as we were talking to with where she was at, just began to talk to her about Jesus, about the hope, the life, the forgiveness found in Jesus, and that she didn't have to carry this stuff from her past, and, and this really is legit, and there is a better future for her. And, and I'll never forget, and it's hard for me to tell this story without getting emotional, but I'll never forget looking across at her at that table with tears in her eye and this weird lunchroom conversation, and, and her saying to me, you know what, I want to believe that. And the thing that really makes it difficult is that my experience with the local church is the thing that has kind of gotten in the way for me believing that that's true for me. And as I sat, like, listening to her and looking at her in the eyes, I, I, I physically, I've told this before, got angry. And I don't know if it was righteous anger or not, but I'm just going to say that because that's a thing in the scripture. So, like, I think it was probably righteous anger. But, like, I just, I just got angry in that moment. I'm like, how could that be? Like, how could people be around this thing that was described by Jesus on a hillside as a vehicle for the scandalous grace of Jesus, and everybody is invited in, and there is a hope and a future for you, and the invitation was not get your junk together and come, and it wasn't change and then join us. It was no, join us and change. You're struggling with sexual stuff? Just come. You have doubts? You're not sure if it's true? Just come. You're, you're struggling with some social anxiety? Just come, because the invitation is join us and Jesus can begin to change your life, but he changes your heart long before he ever changes your behavior, and you have been invited into this incredible movement, this incredible message, and God, Lauren, God can change everything for you, and how could you be around us and not know that? How could you spend your life in the church and not freaking know that? Like, how is that possible? And the thing is, I love the local church. I've been inspired by the local church. My dad has been a pastor for 30-some years, is the most inspiring person to me and has impacted and influenced my life more than anybody else. So I'm all about it. Jesus is going to do his thing until he comes back, and he's going to do it through the church, no matter how busted up we are. But it just began to rise up in angst in me of, of it shouldn't 
be that way. And then a dilemma started to develop because I'm like, okay, well, I need to take her to church because I, like, I need to introduce her to the fact that this is legit and it is real and she is welcomed in. And I need her to see that through the lives of other people. And, and that started to create a problem because I'm like, where do I take her? Like there's, ton, now, there's tons of cool churches there's tons of churches with great bands. I'm all about that. I, I hate when there's like somebody singing up there in a green dress, and the only reason they're singing is because they're related to somebody. You're like, why are they on stage while well, they're related to somebody? Like, I, I'm not about that. So there's, there's tons of those, but here's the problem. Here was the problem is I invited her to some of those. It, like, it was cool. She connected. It was hype. I mean, all those things were going on. But the scriptures weren't at the center of it, and Jesus wasn't at the center of it. And here's the thing. That's the thing she was investigating, she wanted to know Jesus, not how great is your band, not how hype is the environment, not, I mean, not did you have confetti at the end, and I, that's, not, that's great, I'm, I'm with all of those things, but cool church does not translate into reaching people who are far from God. And then on the other side, of I invite her to other environments, and I'm not trying to be critical, I'm just trying to, I'm just sharing my heart, but I invite her to other environments where the scripture was at the center and, and had incredible intentions, and Jesus was being taught, but they weren't speaking to any of her issues. They didn't even know the questions she was asking. They didn't spend a lot of time with skeptics or agnostics or atheists or people who walked away after some version of Sunday school. Like they, Nothing was at street level so that she could understand it. And, and at that point, an angst began to grow in me. And who the heck am I? But like, why can't we reach both groups? Why can't the church be a place where people who are flourishing and growing in their faith can invite people who are investigating their faith and they're going to feel so welcome and so invited but they never have to compromise anything. And Jesus is at the center and the scriptures are at the center and they're inviting everybody to go, listen, listen, we just want to remove every barrier and we want you to know Jesus has hope and life and forgiveness for you and we want you to grow and flourish in your faith. But if you're right over here and you don't even know if you have in your faith, we love that you're with us. We love that you're gathering because that's what the church was created for. And so that, that launched the seed of a vision for me and a, a group of other people and, and my dad and others that, that joined in a really small group to, to birth what we started calling an alternative to church as usual. And what we knew is our, our areas don't need another church, right? I mean, there's tons of churches. And that, that's why I have so much angst in, in communicating this. And I'm, I am for those churches. There's so many churches that are reaching people and doing things that that we're, you know, we're, we're never going to do, and they've got a niche, and God's given them a vision, and like we want to celebrate that. Like what God is doing through the church is an incredible thing, but we knew our, our areas didn't need another church. It needed a different kind of church, and, and I, there's this idea of like, well, yeah, there's a church, like it's like a Wawa on every corner, or a CV, you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh man, something cool is coming into my neighborhood. That's another freaking Wawa. Are you serious? Like, don't we have enough of those? Like, that, that's kind of the idea of the church, but, but there needed to be, I'm sorry, when I get passionate, my language kind of goes off the rails, so I'm going to rein it in the rest of this talk. So, um, that, that God began to reveal the need and, and us feeling like, man, I think at some level God has gifted us to meet some of that need. And what's at stake is not me and it's not you and it's not the name on any sign. What's at stake is what, what Solomon said, that without vision and fulfilling the vision that God's given you, people will perish. 
And so early on, we, we decided we wanted to create a church that would tear away every unnecessary barrier to people connecting with Jesus. Not just skeptics and cynics, every people. Like the longtime follower of Christ who loves Jesus, but they need a place where they can grow and flourish in their faith and be able to invite their kids who are investigating their faith. And what we do as a church and go, we want to remove every distraction, every barrier, every peripheral thing that would get in the way so that to every group we can just go, here's Jesus. Like, here's Jesus. Here's what Jesus wants to do in your life. Jesus is the lead story in everything. And whatever we can do to tear away so that there is no distraction and nothing gets diluted, we're going to do that. To where you never have to give a disclaimer on the way to church. Like, hey, they're going to ask you to do something a little bit weird, so just ignore that. And this is going to happen. And you're going to get greeted by this one guy in the parking lot off the rails. So I just, I'm going to give you a heads up on that right now. And dude talks about money every single week. And like it's just, and, and there wouldn't have to be an apology on the way home. Like, hey, yeah, normally he's not that political. And normally, I mean, may, you may have to apologize for my language, but normally, like, normally they're more friendly than that. Or to your longtime Jesus follower friend, normally they actually open the Bible. Like, we would do everything possible, tear away every unnecessary barrier, and just go, here's Jesus in everything we do. That it would be, and you've heard some of this before, that it would be the safest place in the world for anybody struggling with anything. And come on, everybody talks about this, but do you know how many people in our cities and our spheres of influence maybe live in your home and they've never experienced this? This is what we've been called to, that no matter where you're coming from, no matter the background, that the church really is the safest place in the world. It's not country club. It's a little more recovery group. And it's not that it's made up of everybody's addicts, though there's addicts in the crowd, which we love that. It's the reality of even if you go, well, my marriage is healthy right now. I feel like I'm pretty healthy. Yeah, I get that, but you are still broken. And if you don't think you're broken, you're self-righteous and you're broken, right? And we need environments to go, you know what? I just want to be open to the fact I don't believe it. Oh, awesome. Man, we just want to walk with you. And I need environments where I can go, you know what? I do believe it. I don't always live up to it. Awesome. Because the extent to which you can get honest is the extent to which your faith is going to grow. And again, Jesus' invitation is, no, 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 no. Just join us. And it's not that we're not about change. It's not that we don't want to see God work in your life. We just know that that is God's work. And we want to meet people where they are and we want to create the safest place in the world for anybody who is struggling with anything. you got students coming into student ministry. Everybody's about this until a transgender student shows up in their middle school. The safest place, and we are never going to compromise Jesus and what we believe in the hope that's found in him. But we do want you to know, if there is a safe place, it should be the local church. And a place that is accessible and welcoming to every type of person imaginable. i got to go quick, but I love what Paul says. And I'm not going to give you time to find this, but it will be on the screen. This is the message paraphrase. The mystery is the people who have never heard of God. And those who have heard of him all of their lives, what I've been calling insiders and outsiders. They stand on the same ground before God. I love this. They get the same offer. They get the same help. They get the same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. So the church better reflect that, right? Verse 10, through Christians like yourselves gathered as churches. This is God's plan A and there is no plan B. 
As much as you maybe don't like it, then you need to move to not be moved towards cynicism, but okay, what needs fixed that is broken? And God, how are you calling me into action? But I wanna be a part of your movement in my city and my neighborhood and beyond. This is what God is doing to communicate his message of grace to the world. And here's the thing, and I gotta move on, but I love what he says here as the church gathers. The church is all about scattering. We are not relegated to four walls. That's not the church. The church is the people. We're not relegated to a denomination, but here you just need to know this. There is power in both scattering and gathering. God does something as we gather together corporately to worship, to encourage, to lift up his name as part of the organized church that, according to scripture, doesn't happen any other way. And so he says, through Christians like yourselves gathered as churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and it is becoming talked about. Insiders, people growing in their faith. Outsiders, people who are investigating their faith. And I love every time I hear stories of this. A couple months ago, sitting with a couple who, I mean, they've planted churches. They've started churches. They've been involved. They've been faithful for years. And, I mean, they're kind of the couple of, like, I want to be them when I grow up. And I remember sitting at the table, and, like, this wife is on the other end. She begins to talk to me about, you know, and they're the kind of couple I'm sitting down taking notes, like, teach me. And I'll just never forget her at the other side of the table, faithfulness for years, just doing what God has called her and them to do. And I'll never forget with tears in her eyes talking about the fact that the last two years as she's been a part of our gathering, she's grown and flourished in her faith in the gospel in a way that she never has in her entire life. And I'm like, that's what we're about. And then last week, I met a guy by the name of Matt, comes up to me right after the service, and I hear this all the time. He's like, man, my friends have been after me forever. It's the first time I've been here. I told him over and over again, I'm not into the church thing, and, and I'm not into the Jesus thing. I don't even know if I really believe. And I, I'll just never forget him saying to me last week, like, I, just one time being here, I have felt so welcomed. I have felt so, hey, wherever you're at, just come on in. And I actually feel kind of the prodding that I've never felt in my life to want to investigate because we've been called to be welcoming and accessible to the insider who's known Jesus their whole life and to the outsider who doesn't know if there really even is a Jesus or what Jesus has done and never compromise Jesus being at the center and never compromise the fact that the scripture is at the center and being perfectly known for the one thing that we should be known for, which is loving one another and answering in everything we do from the parking lot to the stages to what we do in our workforce. Hey, do you know that there is a God who cares, and because there's a God who cares, I want to do everything I can to let you know that I care. That should be the church. This should be made up of Republicans and Democrats and rich and poor, gay, straight, GEDs and PhDs, potheads and Sunday school kids, and we never compromise who we are or what Jesus is calling us to, but we just let them know because this is the invitation of Jesus. It is welcoming and accessible to you, and God can change your heart and your life, and you're invited in to be a part. And then I got to move quick. Last two things that we would do anything short of sin to quote Craig Rochelle to reach people who are far from God. How far would you go to reach people who don't know Christ? 
How far would you go to reach a daughter? How far would you go to reach an uncle? How far would you go to reach your spouse? How far would you go to reach somebody in your neighborhood that you've walked with for the last decade? Come on, we can never lose sight of this. And again, we don't have to compromise anything, but we do need to know that part of the discipleship model is not be a disciple. Part of the discipleship model is go make disciples, and as you do that, you become a better disciple because there is a world that needs God. There is a world that needs hope and forgiveness found through Jesus. And in our communities and workplaces, like everybody is somebody's daughter. Everybody is somebody's dad. Everybody is somebody's spouse. And we have been called to reach them. You're like, well, somebody else will reach them. I don't know. Maybe you're an indispensable part of what God wants to do. Maybe they're struggling and grappling with some things that only you understand. Maybe they need an environment that is uniquely designed to speak to their issue. And maybe what hangs in the balance is them, their future, their eternity. Come on, guys, I just want to encourage you on this, and and I'm going to get a little bit angst-filled, but we've got to do this. And those of you who've been faithful for so many years, and I'm talking to a lot of people in our gathering or online, and you've served and you've done so many things in the name of Jesus, but then you got hurt by somebody who was kind of building their kingdom, and so you checked out. Can I just exhort you? You don't ever retire from this. You don't ever look back to the good old days. You don't ever lean on your faithfulness for all of those years. And I know you've done great things, but you need to step back into the game. You need to get involved, and don't allow somebody's kingdom building to keep you from building the kingdom. There are people that need you. There are people who need Christ. And as a church, we want to do everything we can. And I don't even know fully what this means. But do everything we can short of sin and removing Jesus from the center to lead people into a relationship with him. And come on, let's not do that. Just forgive me for a second, and then you can find my email in the back. But I just want to say this, seriously. I just hate the, the, this whole thing where so much surrounds our comfort, too. Like what, the one thing, I started coming here because I wanted like a little bit smaller version. I don't like it to be more than like 800 or 1,000. It just gets a little bit too much. And, da, 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 da. and I get that because maybe you've been turned off from something where they're building their kingdom and it's not personal. And I understand all that. But do you just know that that non-verbally communicates to your friends that you can go to hell? Like, do you, do you, know, do you know what I'm talking? Like, when do we say enough is enough? Like, you know what? We're good. We're at about, you know, 800 to 1,000. Like, we don't even need any more because it's going to just start to get weird and uncomfortable. And so you can just go somewhere else. What if God has uniquely called you to reach them? What if God has uniquely called us to reach them? What if we are an indispensable part of what God is doing in our neighborhood? We should never utter those words. It is not about you. It is not about me, and we want to lead people to grow, and we want it to be personal, and we want to stay small as much as we can as we grow larger, but come on, we can never lose sight of this. Can somebody just go old school and say amen so I know you're with me? We can never lose sight of this. And lastly, lastly, we're going to be made up of dream big, bold faith risk takers because the message, the need, and I think what God has equipped us to do to meet that need demands that we pray big. And that we dream big and we take sanctified risks. And again, I don't know fully what that means, but I never want to get to a place as a church or as a leader where we're preserving rather than advancing. Where we're looking to the past rather than looking to the future. Where we're getting satisfied and just kind of staying where we are. I'm just telling you, and and this is always a vulnerable thing as a leader. I believe that God, through we have a goal of planting eventually 20 campuses because there's a bunch of areas 
that need what, is, what God is doing through you. We have a, a, a goal or a vision of reaching thousands of people, not because of the name on our sign, because we so, and you can misinterpret this if you want, we so feel the need of what people are hungering for in our communities. And if God has called us to be a little part in his big agenda, we're going to go after it and we're going to pray big. And sometimes God will act to the extent that you're expecting him to act. You're willing to dream big. You're willing to take risks. You are willing to do anything possible to reach people because the need is great. Your ability to reach the need at some level, God's given you. And we have the ability in our cities, our communities, and our neighborhoods to create environments to reach a very diverse audience and see people grow and flourish in their faith, but also invite their adult kids who are investigating their faith, invite the people from their their network, invite the people from their, their workforce and see God do something incredible in us and through us for his glory. So we've got to maximize potential. We have got to do fully what God has called us to do. And so come on, we need you to help us create churches that tear away every unnecessary barrier to the gospel. We need to help you, we need you to help us create environments that are the safest place in the world for anybody struggling with anything, not just something we talk about. We need to create a welcoming and accessible environment in churches for every person from every background and never compromise Jesus and never take Jesus from the center of the story. We need to dream big, we need to have bold faith, we need to take risks, we need to do anything short of sin to reach people who are somebody's daughter, somebody's neighbor, somebody's wife somebody's husband with the life-changing, eternity-altering grace of Jesus. And can you imagine if that had been your experience with the local church? Can you imagine where maybe you would be, where your adult children would be? Can you imagine where your marriage would be during that season? Can you imagine where your friend would be who's got some really, really big questions and doesn't feel like the church is a safe place to download those questions? Can you imagine what God would have done, could have done, how he would have acted in those seasons if that had been your experience or their experience with the local church. And come on, we're never going to get this close to perfect because we're not perfect. But Jesus is, and we're a Jesus church. And he is such a skilled architect, he can take busted up scrubs, to quote Jay, and he can use them and turn them into a city-shaping movement that sparks revival and reaches people that nobody else is reaching. No, I'm serious. And that, I, that's why I'm here. That's what I believe that God wants to do with everything in me. And without blinking, I, I want to move us forward to maximize our potential to reach people. And it means we cannot stay here. We can't stay comfortable. We can't stay satisfied. We can't stay hiding behind excuses. We can't even stay in our cities because the need is too great. What God has called us to do to reach that need is too great, and we must move forward. And what hangs in the balance, if we don't, is I think there may be some people that aren't reached. If we don't, I think there's some people who will never experience what you have experience. So all that to say, we always end with some really specific things about where God is leading us in this next season. There's so much that we can't communicate um, on a Sunday morning service. So I'd love for you to be here at 5.30 tonight as we pray and um, enter into our, what we call vision night. We'll be here for about an hour. It's going to be a special time as a gathering. But there's so much we can't communicate. Last year about this time, we um, rolled out the fact that we were starting a brand new campus in Wesley Chapel. We've seen God do some incredible things this year. Last Sunday was the first Sunday of our new campus pastor and his wife, Chris and Katie Olson, in Wesley Chapel, which is a huge thing for our church and huge answer to prayer. 
We've seen Next Step start over this last year, which has been an incredible um, piece to us wanting to grow people in their faith and really give them an easy means to know, okay, here's how you can connect here. Here's how you can take steps in your faith. Here's how you can know what we believe and what we're about. Here's what's offered in the future. Here's our vision for where we're going. We, as we grow larger, we want to keep it as personal as we can. We want people to grow in their faith. That's why we want everybody to go through next steps. We've seen our care network launched over this last year. We have 10 partner organizations right now. We have a liaison within our church for every one of those partner organizations. We have the same thing in Wesley Chapel. You have given away thousands of dollars to those organizations this year. We've seen so much happen to fund those, to have volunteer resources go toward those. We also started a care network um, wing of counseling and helping just shepherd and care for people, whether they're in the hospital, whether um, they're going through a difficult time. All of that in an effort as we grow larger, we want to care for people. We want to meet physical needs. We want to meet spiritual needs. We want to have organizations that we partner with in the city because we are not relegated to these walls. We have been called to redeem and restore our city and neighborhoods. And we've seen God do some incredible stuff through that. Um, we are about to develop a leadership development system as well as an internship to raise up more leaders over this next year so that God can t- continue to do his, <clears throat> his thing. I need some water, man. His thing through us and for us, if you're listening to this on the podcast, my apologies. And we've seen God do some incredible things through that. And, and then here's a little snapshot, and I'll wind this all down in terms of what we've seen God do over the last two years. This is from June, um, end of June 2015 to now. We've seen 100% growth in our CC Kids ministry. Um, We've seen 400% growth in our Velocity student ministry. A couple weeks ago, for the first time, they launched separate middle school and high school environments, which is a huge thing. We've seen 300% growth in our weekly Sunday attendance to around 750 on an average weekend. Last year, we started our CC Wesley Chapel campus, which launched, and we just got our permanent campus patcher, which we're excited about. According to the projections of our numbers, and again, this can slow up, this can speed up, you never know, but just in terms of what we'd experienced the last two years over the next year, we'll reach 1,000 people in average weekend attendance um, at our Valrico campus, just to give you an idea of where we've been and where we're going, just from a number standpoint. And here's here's what I know and you know. Every single one of these represent a face and a name and somebody with a story, don't they? Right? And so here's what we need to do is um, we need to create over the next, there's a short-term goal and a long-term goal. We need to create more space for our CC kids um, over the next couple of years. And so we need to, to really to maximize at um, points in the season where we're at max capacity uh, with six new classrooms for our CC kids. Their environment and how it was built is kind of disproportionate to everything else. And so we don't need all of those right now, but as we look over two, three years, six rooms doesn't sound like a lot, but we can do a lot with that during max capacity services. And so here's what we need to do to create space for them is um, we have moved a storage unit that we purchased um, into the backwoods area, and we're moving all of our facilities rooms into that storage that will free up some classroom space. Um, We're renovating behind our stage. There's actually a bunch of room back there that you may not know about. And we're moving a bunch of our offices that are located in our CC Kids building back there. Um, It kind of smells like church 50 years ago back there. I don't know what that's about, but it is. Like You walk back and you're like, it smells like 50 years ago. So um, hopefully it hasn't trickled into here, but it is back there. So hopefully I'll take care of the smell problem as well. Um, but we're going to move offices there. And then the third thing is uh, we're renovating what was a garage in the middle of our parking lot out there, and it's becoming our next steps room. 
We want an environment for that because it's one of the things that, it's, it, that is at the heart of moving people and connecting them here and growing them in their faith. And so that has already begun. That's also going to be an extra meeting space. It's also going to be where we can hold classes and provide more things for discipleship. And when we're doing it on a Sunday, there's no room with our current kids' environment. So this will allow us to have room to grow over the next two to three years as we max out at a thousand or whatever and still have room to be able to adequately care for kids and not have them bouncing off of the walls and it's a safe environment. So that's the short-term goal. The long-term goal is this, that ultimately, not today, not six months from now, but we've got to look further down the road, that we are looking at campus relocation in both Valrico and Wesley Chapel. So Wesley Chapel is a shorter-term goal. We need to be in the heart of Wesley Chapel, which we determined early on. We have a building. Everything is paid off. We're debt-free completely out there. And so within the next year, way earlier than Valrico, we're going to move them to the heart of Wesley Chapel um, with their new campus pastor, which is really where we're going to see God do what we're asking him to do in that city. We need to be where the people are. The Second thing is, in Valrico, we're going to begin to look at campus relocation, which means we have to move to create space in the interim for specifically CC kids, and then we will go to four services and five services and maybe six services, and I'll be on video at the six, I can promise you that, but six services, and we'll max out as much as we can, but we just know with the rate that we've experienced the last two years, we have to be ready three years from now or two years from now, and so we have to create that space, and then renovate some things on this facility, things like a roof, um, air conditioners, um, several other things around here to be able to eventually sell it, and we want to do it all at one time. And we have some margin for sure, but we can't deplete that margin, so it's something that we have to raise money for, and we don't do this a lot, but in order to go where God's calling us to go to create more space right now and eventually move, um, this is what we need to happen. Um, All of that is listed in the brochure that you got. I'm not going to give you any you know, specifics about maybe where God's going to take us in the future or tell you about a sweet bay that's on Bloomingdale because I don't want to get that specific, but you could pray about something that's like that um, that's been empty for about seven years, and we just need God to do a miracle, but I don't want to give you any specifics right now. So, um, so ultimately, we need to raise $250,000 um, in order to create the space we need for kids and then um, look at where God wants to lead us in the future. The amazing news is the money is in the bank. It's just in your bank, all right? So, so here's, I want, you to, I want you to ask this, and I've got to end because the backwards clock is ticking. Um, just how can I help? Yeah, I got one. I got one person. I just, you don't have to actually do anything, you don't, most Sundays. So just how can I help? And just pretend you're with me. How can I help? Okay. The, the most obvious is to give, and so we need to complete this um, by the end of the year, December 31st of 2017. There's a little chart um, in your uh, brochure that you got on the way in that kind of breaks things down. Here's kind of a larger number that more of you would grab a hold of. If we had 600 people give $420 just in a single gift, or they broke that up of $140 in the next three months, that would get us there. So that just kind of breaks it down for you. It's not as big as you think. Um, We have about triple that that attend on an average month, you know, because everybody attends about once a week uh, or one week out of the month. So this this is very much doable. So we need you to give a gift if you're able. And, And here's the thing I'd say. Some people aren't able. If you could, you would. In the past, you have. In the future, you will. But for a lot of us, we can. For hundreds and hundreds of us, 
we can. And so you can just mark it, we can't stay here. And this allows us to finish what we've already started and then move forward with everything else to be able to create um, that room that is going to be needed on max capacity as we move forward and to do the renovations we need to be ready if God drops something in our lap or as we look three years down the road of eventually we know we can't stay here. Here's statistically what they tell you if you're interested is that generally when you get to overall double the attendance of what your auditorium will hold, it doesn't matter how many services you add, you'll start to max out. We're already beyond that number. And so we know down the road, as much as we want to squeeze everything we can out of this, and we will with a million services, um, we know eventually it's not going to hold us forever, and we've got to look to the future. So that's what this will do. Second thing, and then there's a third thing you can do, and this is, I just thought this is a good Sunday to talk about this, and maybe this is your apology on the way home, but I never talk about it. Um, we need 100 people to give $50 or $50 more a week in order to keep up with the growth. We've seen 105% financial growth over the last year and a half, but we were already starting way behind. And some of that's just because we reach a lot of people who are brand new to this whole thing. And here's been my promise for you from the beginning. We will never, ever, 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 ever make decisions about who we reach based on what they can give, ever. So we're just going to trust God to continue to move through people who already are in so that we can continue to invite people to go, we're not even going to take up an offering. And you just need to know we want something for you. We do not want something from you. That's what we're committed to. But those of you who are CCers, you are in, you're like me, man. You know Jesus. You believe in what God's doing. You've been influenced and impacted by it. We get to do this. We get on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis to financially support what God is doing and to see God use it. And there's been no greater thrill in my life for 20 years because I was taught this, is to be a part of what God is doing financially. This is something, and I, I know that everybody's got different views on this, but this is something as a Jesus follower, the scripture teaches, we get to be a part of what God is doing. And God blesses at a big level in changing lives, and God blesses and changes us as a result. But we just need some people to step up in this next season, these next three months, to see out of the hundreds that don't give anything, a lot of people, you're brand new in faith, we don't want you to give. But those of us who can, we're following Jesus, we're already in. Man, it is up to us to move the mission forward. So we need outside of the capital campaign, which is over and above regular giving, 100 people at $50 a week or $50 more a week to go. I will not just be a fan of the vision, I'll support it. And then the last thing is, we need you to pray. And so starting tomorrow, we're launching a 40 days of prayer. And this isn't just about our capital campaign. That's, this is about where God is leading us as a church. This capital campaign, let me just be clear, this is not vision. Vision is what God has called us to do. This is the byproduct of vision. Vision is about people. And so we want you and need you to pray. There's prayer journals available in the lobby that you can purchase. You can also get them online. But we want you to join us for 40 days of prayer. And here's what we believe, that God will only do certain things to the extent that we're willing to pray. There's certain expressions of God's supernatural power only happen as we ask him. And so we'd love for you to journey with us for the next 40 days. Every Wednesday at 12 p.m. on both campuses, we're going to have a prayer gathering that meets in our lobby or in here. If you happen to be around, you're on lunch, you're close by, we'd love for you to join our staff. But every Wednesday from now until about December at 12 p.m. every week, we're going to have an on-site prayer gathering. And we're going to journey together as a church through 40 days of prayer. Our uh, pastors will have videos out each week just to kind of get your thinking and heart and mind around this. But we need you to pray because where we're going, 
We want to to move to a place where only God can do it. We want to get to the other side of this next season and go, if God hadn't acted, if God hadn't done it, it wouldn't have happened. You need to be praying about some things that would only happen if God came through. More than find your car keys and help them to get in and get the job. Some things that on the other side of it, the only explanation is God. And so last thing is this. We want to connect you with all this stuff in two ways. Today we're launching a brand new website. This is to make it even easier as you're inviting people. This is very much geared toward people can easily get a picture of what we're about, get a feel for our church, so you can play around with that. It's also mobile-friendly now, if I can get an amen for that. Um, The second thing, and this is where it relates to you, and I'm going to be done with this, we're launching an app today. And you can just search Centerpoint Church Florida, Centerpoint FL VC, and text that to 77977 and download that free app. And here's why we're doing this. As we grow larger, we want to do everything we can to connect people with the mission. We want to help people know, hey, here's some tools in how to grow in your faith. Here's some things you can interact with as a result of the message. Here's what's going on in our gathering. Here's what's happening with middle school, high school. Here's some resources for you, for your family. I mean, whatever it is. All of that's going to be on that app. Soon we're going to kind of go away from paper bulletins. They'll still be available. But we want most of our gathering who uses a smartphone, which is like 90%, to connect with us here. Because this is really going to plug you into all that God is doing in our gathering. And hopefully help us lead you to grow in your faith. So go check that out today. And then i got to be done because there's a lot of red um, going down there on that screen. Here's just what I want to tell you as we ended the Element series last week. Here's the reason I did that series. Whether you take any of this serious or not, maybe you're new to this, maybe you're like, I don't know, you still have baggage that you're carrying from a past experience. I get all that. Let me just talk to you for a second. The whole idea behind our Element series is I just really, as your pastor, if you consider me your pastor, I, I don't want you to stay where you are. And so as we came on the other side of that series that you can download on SoundCloud or iTunes, what step do you need to take in order for God to begin to grow your faith? Just start there. I don't want you to stay where you are. And I'll tell you this is, As your pastor, and I think part of my calling is for us to maximize our potential, I don't want to see us stay where we are. And I just believe in everything in me, whether you believe it or not, and some of this is just because of the stories every single week, there's some people that God's reaching through you that nobody else really is reaching. There's some skeptics that are finding life in Christ that their story is, I've kind of just meandered for 40 years, and this this has finally been the place. God has called us to do something unique. I don't want us to stay where we are. Too much hangs in the balance. And I think if you don't stay where you are and we don't stay where we are, I think God might be able to do something immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine to turn our cities upside down. I think we've lost the wide-eyed view of the New Testament to go, man, God can take just ordinary busted up people like me, and he can change the world. I just think we've lost that. So I want us to start praying like that again. I want us to start risking like that. I want us to step out in faith in that way again. And here's what you know, and here's what I know, or I should say don't know. We don't really know what hangs in the balance. You don't fully, one of the greatest tragedies of the Christian journey or for every church is you never know what God would have done if you would have believed God, if you would have stepped out, if you would have grabbed a hold of clear vision. But here's what we do know what's at stake, that people will perish, that there are people that are going to spend forever somewhere. And there are people, just like you were at one point, that the need, the hope, and the life, and the forgiveness and freedom that is found in Jesus. And if you don't act, and if we don't act, they may never be reached. And so I'm going to end with this. This is what I said throughout the Element series. 
throughout this 40 days of purpose, or 40 days of prayer, I should say, and this is going to sound bad, I don't want you to pray for a movement of God one time. I just want to remove that from our vocabulary. God already created a movement. He's just asking you to move. And so I want you to pray, God, how do you want to move me? How do you want to move us? Because if you move and if we move, God will continue to ignite a movement, but you don't need to pray for that. And I just believe the mission, the mandate, the vision that God's given us, the need that he's identified, and the ability that I think he's given us to meet some of those needs demands that we move forward and we do not stay where we are. Would you guys stand with me and we'll just end in prayer. I went way over. I did it the first service, so I'm going to say the same thing. Apologize to the people on your way out. It just is what it is. Would you guys just pray with me right now? Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for what you have done. And there's a biblical mandate to just celebrate that and honor you for that. And I thank you for what you're going to do. And so um, I think I've said what you wanted me to say. And so I leave it with you. And I pray you do your thing through us, through this church. And God, we just want to give you our obedience, our faithfulness. And we're going to trust you with the outcome. And we pray all of this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen.